0: Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me, or should I say, Paulie play-by-play. He was on the call Sunday. So what happened on Christmas night? Was it more about the Cardinals making mistakes, or was it more about Tom Brady being Tom Brady? Probably a combination of both. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 629, and it starts now.
1: Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2
0: field and down, he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it.
1: Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts.
0: He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray magic! Wow!
1: Here's Craig Grealoux. Right off the top here, Paul, need to ask, how is the voice? You know what? It's sort of like Tom Brady. You know, um, it's it's under duress, but uh, hopefully I'll make it through without getting sacked. How about that? That's my answer on that one. How did Tom Brady not get sacked in that game, Craig Grealoux? I want to know that. He has about as much mobility right now as me and my voice. And, and, and somehow he evades and eludes going down, and not even one time in the game, no. it's remarkable. Hit four times, but yeah, not
0: brought down to the game, not brought down to the g- uh, ground, excuse me. Now, when you say the voice, you know, it, it, not typical Paul Calvisi voice. Now, is that because of three hours of play-by-play or three hours of play-by-play and carrying Ron Wolfley?
1: Yeah, that's 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 a great point. You know, I'd like to pop off, and uh, but... Let's put it this way. Dave Pash asked this morning how the broadcast go. And I said, well, um, let's see here. I'd like to have basically every play call back for a redo. But otherwise, it, Craig, it's very, uh, it's not unlike, at least to me, this is my analogy, because this is as close as I'll ever get to playing in the NFL, is that sensation of a rookie where everything's moving really quick. Dave Pash is really good. And what do the best people, their professions do? They make it sound and look very easy which it is not. So we gave, we went down swinging on Christmas night, Paulie play-by-play, and, uh, you know, look, it wasn't the greatest game. We expected that. It's uh, come to be known as the Calvisi factor, whether it was when I filled in 2020 against the 49ers in Week 16, and that was a horrendous effort by the Cardinals, whether it was Christmas night a year ago with the Colts, and that was a lackluster effort, and then you had a 6-6 game going into the fourth quarter. of the, So you know what? I wasn't shocked. I, I really wasn't. And ultimately, the way it finished, I wasn't shocked either. How many game-winning drives is that by Tom Brady in his career?
0: 57. That was wow. the 57th yeah. game-winning drive for the greatest of all time. Let me just say this, though. One, I enjoyed listening to you and Wolf on the broadcast, sitting in the press box. Yeah, I put the earbuds in, listened to the radio broadcast, watch in real time. And I thought you handled it very, very well. It is not easy. But I enjoy listening, and I thought it was a job well done, and it was of no fault of what we were watching on the football field. Although I'll say this, compared to those two previous games that you did play-by-play for, you cannot say the effort was not there last night on Christmas nights in that Cardinals nineteen sixteen loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in overtime. The Cardinals, yeah, they are not winning ball games,
1: but they are bringing it each and every week. And you know what? In a different sort of way, that's also remarkable because in 2020, there were a couple of those games where the Cardinals did not bring the juice. That Week 16 loss against the Niners, you could even contend the Week 17 loss at the Rams. John Wolford beat him. Now Kyler was out of that game, most of that game with injury. I think it's semi-deflated the team. And then a year ago at Detroit, I mean, that was DOA, that game in terms of energy. Against Carolina at home. Last year, that was another game minus energy. That hasn't really happened this year, at least to my recollection, unless I'm missing it, but I'm putting my finger to the wind. I'm trying to recollect there hasn't been that game where I've been on the sideline just lamenting the fact that guys are not into the game. That hasn't happened. Now, there's been plenty of self-inflicted type stuff and mistakes, and there's plenty to talk about. But, no, I don't think you can hold the Cardinals – accountable or responsible for not bringing the energy effort and intensity this season
0: there have been two games in which the cardinals were just simply outplayed too much talent on the other side week one against kansas city and the 49ers in mexico city when the outcome the scoreboard just was too lopsided but other than that the cardinals have been in most games this season especially late and twice now in the past four games this cardinals team has had a lead in in the fourth quarter. And for me, it was that 10-point lead with 10.46 to go in the fourth quarter. You're up 16-6, to six, and you do not score another point the rest of the way, and you allow Tom Brady to do what Tom Brady does best. He did not look good at all through those first three-plus quarters. And listening to Wolf mention it time in and time again because we don't see that a lot. We have not seen that hardly at all in Brady's 23-year career. But he was not good at all, but when it mattered most, fourth quarter in overtime, he was on target, and the Buccaneers
1: won. Because in the first quarter, when he missed Julio Jones towards the back pylon on that corner route, wow, that was shocking. And there was a lot more of that through the course of the game. The downfield passing attack was not there. Both of Marco Wilson's interceptions, great plays, but those weren't classic Tom Brady pinpoint throws either. So, you know, it's interesting going into the game, talking to guys in the locker room, how many guys said, because you look at the fact that Tom Brady has been sacked the least of any quarterback in the NFL, and they said, yeah, but that's at the expense of the downfield passing attack. You know, guys who watch the film, so there is remarkable how many times that a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin has opened downfield and Brady doesn't target them. Well, in this game, he targeted them downfield. He just couldn't connect. He just didn't have the accuracy, didn't didn't have that touch on the ball and and uh, so for that, that being the case, everyone wants to point to the potential playoff run that might be waiting a Tampa team that could easily enter as the division champion a number four seed because what did they do in 2020? They entered as a number five seed and they won three road playoff games and then hosted Super Bowl 55 in their place, right? Could they do that again when you consider how unproven the rest of the quarterback field is potentially in the NFC playoff picture? A Kirk Cousins, even a Jalen Hurts doesn't have a playoff win on his resume. You look around at a Daniel Jones of the Giants make it. So you know that's why everybody fears Aaron Rodgers, yep. I think, right now in the NFC. And Tom Brady, until this game against the Cardinals, I would have put him in that same category, but Tom Brady looked nothing like Aaron Rodgers in Week 16, not even close. And that final drive in
0: overtime, 6 of 6 for 69 yards, just picking apart that Cardinals defense that was minus Marco Wilson, so that needs to be said from the top. But again, you had the ability to close this out in regulation, not allow Brady to do what Brady does best because, as he said post game, if we keep it close in the fourth quarter, we know we've got a shot. I'll correct that a minute just a little bit. If he keeps it close in the fourth quarter – he knows he's got a shot because no other quarterback can do what Tom Brady does. And Cliff Kingsbury mentioned it post game. Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does,
1: and you give him opportunity after opportunity, he's going to find a way. And as Vance Joseph said, it's like playing a quarterback who's a head coach. He knows where to go to the ball with the ball. He knows what's coming his way. You know, it's can he deliver the ball on the money, You know, in sync, in stride with the receiver. Now, when the urgency was there and needed to be there, like you said – he put together two great drives, and they ended up winning the game. So, But you're right. There were the Cardinals up 16-6. It's early 10-plus minutes to go in the game, and it just depends which you want to pick as the turning point. Zayvon Collins, after the game, cited the Leonard Fournette 44-yard catch and run to start that touchdown drive to make it 16-13. Everybody wants to point to the third and one to the Tampa 42 in the failed pitch. And I get it. It definitely was a turning point. And Cliff Kingsbury cited it himself after the game. And yeah, NFL players should be able to execute a quick pitch. They've been doing that since, you know, Pee Wee football, a quarterback and a running back. So that's disappointing on multiple different levels. I get it not giving it to James Conner in that situation. He had just touched the ball three straight plays. I get it. At the same time, he's your Pro Bowl running back, and if you're putting Trace McSorley under center and you want to use him as a decoy, I personally would have just kept Trace McSorley. The same sort of zone read that Cole McCoy used against Denver to his own demise and suffered the concussion, I think is a much better play for a Trace McSorley in that situation. Give him the option of reading and reacting, and whether he gives it to James Conner or he keeps it himself. He's accustomed to running a lot of that in his Penn State days. So we can argue the play call, but ultimately, you know what? You should be able to uh, execute the pitch. Although Kyle, uh, Kyle Vandenbosch on the drive home, I heard you guys talking about it, and I never saw a replay. But according to KVB, there were two or three defenders right in the path of County Ingram, and it probably wouldn't have been a first down anyway.
0: It would probably, likely, would have been a loss if he did get it to Ingram, and maybe even a loss if he had given it to Connor up the middle. Because I think the Buccaneers—they knew what the Cardinals wanted to do: get that first down, keep the clock running. And they were going to keep it on the ground. They were going to run the football. Yet at the same time, yeah, James Connor has been the guy especially in that second half as far as what he was able to do running the football and running it very, very well. But you brought it up. He had carried the ball three straight times. Do you risk a fourth? Is he a better option with that fourth carry or to try to catch the defense off guard, which I think is what Cliff and the coaching staff were thinking, but maybe they were overthinking things a little bit. And we've seen that around the league where you kind of get too cute because – you think what I'm thinking, so I'm going to do opposite of what you think I'm thinking, and then all of a sudden it blows up, and that's what happened uh, on Christmas night. But if you're
1: Ingram, you need to make sure you secure, secure that football. No question, because look, at that part of the field, you had a fourth and short you could have gone for. That was third and one. Let's say stop for no game. Let's say loses a yard or two. At least it's still your football, and you have the option of going for it on fourth down. You're probably out of the range, or at least uh, you know, you're not going to try a Matt Prater field goal at that point. Heck, Greg Dorch was a heck of an option all game long. And and even some of those end arounds and jet sweeps to Greg Dorch were very effective. And so I, I wouldn't have hesitated to, you know, to go ahead and and, and incorporate a Greg Dorch, but if he did zoom out, third down was a problem. Cardinals are what? Five and nineteen on third down. And more often than not, Todd Bowles was dialing it up against that young, inexperienced quarterback, Trace McSorley, starting with a blindside sack from behind by Anthony Nelson, where the Cardinals gave up the football, where he was sacked instantly on that third down. And that was the pattern. I'm not sure he saw a similar third-down scheme twice in that game, and he was consistently getting numbers and getting blitz from somewhere at some point.
0: You can argue, and I'll do my best here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, that that blindside sack, strip sack, that turnover was more costly than any of the others that the Cardinals committed. Now the other one was the Hail Mary at the end of the first half or the end of regulation, and that was just basically – Let's see what we can do here. I do want to bring that up, though, as far as potentially kicking a field goal there. But first things first, that fumble, you're in the red zone, Paul. At worst, you kick a field goal, tie the game up at three. You come up with nothing. Yes, it's early in the game, but those three points that you lost didn't even have an opportunity to get three, let alone six or seven with the PAT. I point to that Fumble. Again, no faults of Trace McSorley. It looked like Josh Jones slid inside and just let Nelson have a free shot on the quarterback. Now, whatever the line call was that allowed Jones to kinda slide a little bit, I don't know, but it certainly you never want to see your edge rusher from the opponent have a clear path to the quarterback who's not expecting it from the blind side.
1: Unless that is on the quarterback, and he has to be aware that if that guy comes, the ball has to be out of my hand. To your point, we don't know exactly whose assignment it was. It looked to be a Josh Jones mistake, perhaps. But it's also hard to think that he would make that mistake in that situation. So who knows? Either way, you're right. It it was costly, and it took points off the scoreboard, especially considering the way that – Matt Prater has been kicking the ball. Now, what do you make of the uh, decision to go for the Hail Mary versus a field goal attempt, which I think on the broadcast, I had it around 70 yards, at least high 60s. It would have been 68 to 70 yards in terms of a field goal attempt, right? You react in real time when you get
0: questions on Cardinal Talk or you're reacting in real time at that certain situation, so you're right. And I mentioned it on Cardinal Talk. At that point... At the 44 yard line, you're looking at a 71, 72 yard attempt. Although Jim Omahundro reminded me afterwards look, it was third and 10 at the Cardinals' 49. There was a false start on Hollywood Brown that backed him up five yards to the 44. Okay, so now let's try to kick a field goal from your own 49 yard line. That's still a 66 or 67 yard attempt. Darren Urban asked Matt Prater about it, and Prater, keep in mind, his career long is 64 in Denver, mile high, into the first half. It was in 2013. We're almost 10 years after the fact, and now you're going to ask him to go 67, 68, or 69 yards? That's a little bit too much to me, although Prater, when asked, said, no, I think the right decision was made. Then he added with a smile, I would have been willing to try. Of course, he would have been willing to try. But I think the risk versus reward, a Hail Mary, you know you're throwing it up for grabs. There's no way the Buccaneers intercept it, return it. A long field goal from that distance, it's more of a line drive, more likely to get blocked. Or you send someone back near the crossbar and you catch it. And then you kind of see what happens and opens up in front of you for Tampa Bay. So, no, we did get a couple of calls as far as why did you not attempt a long field goal. But this wasn't 60-plus. This was 65, darn near 70 yards. And Prater, who's been nursing a hip issue for most of this season, I don't care if he's 100% healthy. That's just not a kick I'm willing to risk at this stage.
1: No, especially with a bunch of offensive linemen out there, and then there's a possibility of a kick six, and I think of Auburn, Alabama, back in the day, and, and you know there's that's certainly a catastrophic way to lose a game. And you're right, it's 38 year old Matt Prater. It's not 28 28- or 29 year old Matt Prater. At the same time, he had just hammered a 56 yard field goal that definitely had room to spare. Now. Did it have 10 yards worth to spare? I don't know. I do know in Mexico City, I asked him as the game was about to start right before the rain started in Mexico City, uh, whether he was capable of hitting from 70 plus in Mexico City and whether he had actually attempted one in the pregame warmup. And his response was something along the lines of, nah, I didn't need to. I just, uh, I I kicked a 65 yarder and and it was halfway up the net. See, that's the way he judges it. Where does it hit the net? And if it was halfway up the net, then he's like, I got at least another 10 yards in me. So you you can make. He was a 56 yarder. Wait, a 55 yarder he hit in Denver the week before. But again, that's altitude. Yep. So. And that 56 yarder he made
0: in the first quarter, according to NBC, said it would have been good from 63. So you're still five yards shorter than what you were looking at at 68, 69 yards. And that 53 yard he made in the second quarter, it hit the left upright and went in. So all this is. Again, in real time and whether how much of a legit discussion was made, I don't think there was much of one. The only option you had was potentially Hail Mary Part 2.
1: I mean, I would have loved to have seen it. I think everybody would have. It would have been interesting. It would have been intriguing. It would have been entertaining. But in terms of the risk-reward, no. I, it didn't favor the Cardinals. And and it really could have resulted and a horrendous ending on on a kick six or a block. So I understand why they elected to go against that sort of decision. The problem is that, guess what, on the other sideline was Tom Brady. And so, you know, you're taking your chances in overtime. Was it more Tom Brady,
0: or was it more of the Cardinals self-inflicted, whether it's the three turnovers, the six penalties, not so much how many penalties, but when they occurred? Because I'll go back again to that first quarter, When the Cardinals' defense stopped Leonard Fournette on second, third, and fourth down, needing just one yard. Turnover on downs. Cardinals on offense get the ball back. But the first play, Max Garcia gets called for holding. Now it's first and 20. That complimentary football, that momentum within the game, this is back-to-back plays. Those are the little things
1: that I think eat coaches alive. And it's different guys at different times taking their turn to make their one mistake of the game. And it's enough to lose games. And it's been chronic. Cardinals' next game is going to be on New Year's Day. If there's a New Year's resolution over the last two games, it's got to be to eliminate that caliber of play, which will get you every time. And so when it's impossible for a coach to actually pinpoint one or two things, you know, because it's so many different guys at different times, that's a problem. And then you have to figure out, okay, and that's a difficult, difficult problem to erase. Uh, So once again, the energy was there, the intensity was there, but that sort of execution and or focus, attention to detail, has not been there consistently enough. Why not? Is that on the player? Is it on the process? That's something the Cardinals are going to have to determine in the offseason. One other issue
0: with that Cardinals offense, and again, in real time, as you guys are calling the action, the lack of catches for DeAndre Hopkins, and it was, I believe, what, third quarter when you guys went down to the sideline for Danny Serac, and she mentioned that, again, it's 144 straight games. DeAndre Hopkins has caught at least one pass. He doesn't have a catch yet. Did not happen until there were less than eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. One catch for four yards on 10 targets now that sounds a little off but if you watched it yeah he was targeted but how many of those targets Paul were there really catchable passes there were low throws high throws not even the great arm reach that Hopkins has the wingspan some of those passes weren't even within the vicinity of number
1: 10. It was remarkable in a poor way I mean honestly like how far off target could some of those passes really be and, and by remarkable I say the chemistry and connection that existed between McSorley and Greg Dorch was on the money it was clean it was in sync now a lot of those obviously weren't as downfield you know has it been DeAndre Hopkins is running a different role and a lot of it I think what I saw he was running more of the X and Hollywood Brown was doing some of that as well and Dorch is almost exclusively an inside slot type receiver I get it but yeah, it was hard to watch. It was every bit as ugly as the stat page. One catch on 10 targets, and at least half of those targets were uncatchable. Why? And, and what is a realistic path for improvement over these last two games? You know, how, how much of this is a byproduct of. I don't know the, the process with which Hop practices. Was he out there? Was he out there in the full-speed sessions? How many full-speed sessions really were there? At this point in the season, you're so banged up. You're one of the top three most injured teams in the NFL. You're doing a lot of walkthroughs. And so, okay, is there really an opportunity for a new quarterback and receiver to get in sync? Because I'm guessing that was existing chemistry between Dortch and Trace McSorley. Spend the last four or five months either training camp preseason games running the scout team we talked about it early in the game that we wouldn't be surprised if Dorch was his go-to guy just the comfort level that Trace McSorley would have with a Greg Dorch and that's exactly what played out how
0: often how rare I should say is a DeAndre Hopkins one catch game Paul it has not happened since October 2nd 2016 against the Tennessee Titans he had one catch for four yards on six targets only happened six times in D hop's career yeah I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on this Monday morning because it's been so rare to see number 10 not
1: show up in the stat sheet do you know who the quarterback was
0: I do not because quarterback that's a
1: very good question though I'm just gonna guess and surmise it was the lack of quarterback yes And, and there might have been a backup playing for Houston at that point Because if I'm not mistaken, there was at least one if not two games where that happened to Larry Fitzgerald in between Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. It was so bad, and you got to the fourth quarter, and Larry's historic streak was on the line. They had to do exactly what they did with D-Hop, just step off the line and get a quick bubble screen just to get in the stat box and get a catch and preserve your games-in-a-row streak because, yeah, that was in serious jeopardy at that point.
0: Neither Hopkins nor Hollywood had a catch in the first half, and that's something that we discussed at halftime with Kyle Vandenbosch. You have to get those two involved. I did find it interesting because when you look at the final snap counts, Hollywood Brown, who did not start, only played 50 of the 76 offensive snaps. That is eyebrow-raising until you read azcardinals.com and Hollywood told Darren. Darren asked. Was the groin injury that popped up on the injury report late in the week a factor? Brown said no. Quote, I was late to a meeting, so coach decided to cut my playing time. Wow. End quote. So I did not see that. You don't have the chemistry with D. Hop. You don't have, and you do have chemistry at least somewhat with Hollywood, yet he's not available because he showed up late to a meeting. So the accountability within that locker room, where is it? And those are little things that don't, Manifest themselves until after the fact, and all of a sudden you're looking at oh that's why the Cardinals went into overtime and lost by three.
1: And look how often is that happening? How rife is that through this team this year? When we talk about different guys taking their turn to make their different mistake, okay, how much of it is a byproduct of that? It starts with that commitment, you know, on the practice and meeting level. Yeah, I don't know. Once again, that's something you're going to have to ascertain in the off season. And right now, I'm guessing that the two guys who are replacing Steve Kime for the moment and Quentin Harris and Adrian Wilson, that's one of the things they're looking at. And so, and when you hear a Michael Bidwell address the team and say, I know who's cutting corners and who isn't, yeah, I think that's the sort of instance that he's referring to right there. There's no doubt they're, they're keeping score. So, and look, Hollywood Brown wants a new contract yes he's under contract next year no it's not what he wants it's one of the reasons that he forced his way out of baltimore he wanted to be in an offense in a place where he thought he could flourish as wide receiver one or at least one b and so these are all things that are being taken into consideration and 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 did the cardinals need a productive hollywood brown in that game yeah and he finally finally had a big play obviously the 47 yard catch and it was a heck of a throw by trace mcsorley nearly the longest pass play of the year for the Cardinals, but that ties to Greg Dortch in Mexico City, correct? Correct. Although I say
0: what we saw on Sunday was a true deep shot because remember the Dortch was a catch and a lot of running of Greg Dortch in Mexico City. This was a true pass through the air, great throw, great catch on the far sideline. But again, that was one play. There needed to be more of those plays Trace McStolley, when you're down to your third string quarterback, Paul, you need others to step up. You need a D Hop to step up, a Hollywood Brown to step up, a James Conner to step up. It can't be Greg Dortch being your number one wide receiver, your number one threat. Regardless of the chemistry that those two have, Dortch can't be the guy that sits there and has over 100 yards from scrimmage. Now, that's the way the play materialized, but that's not winning
1: football, especially against a Buccaneers team. yeah, And it was interesting. You know, I wasn't really sure what to think of how the game plan would be formulated with Trace McSorley. How many QB keepers would there be? There weren't nearly as many as I thought. I don't know what the official line was on uh, McSorley in terms of rushing. In fact, I'm looking at it right here. He had seven rushing attempts, uh, McSorley. And honestly, if you would have told me that there would have been double digits, I-, I wouldn't have been surprised. And he didn't keep the ball nearly as much as I thought. And honestly, at halftime, that Cardinals offense was struggling to such a degree. And at halftime, his numbers were so poor for a Trace McSorley. He was 10 of 21 for 79 yards passing, and his passer rating was 57.4. We kept an eye out for David Blau to start that second half and whether he was warming up. I know Danny Sarek was down there keeping an eye on that. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals obviously got some offense going in that second half, but there was a good stretch there where we were wondering. If the guy who got some first-team reps in practice wouldn't be making his debut for the Cardinals and the fourth quarterback to play in the regular season this year for the Cardinals.
0: I believe it was after the second three and out by that Cardinals offense to begin the second half when Wolf did mention, I would not be surprised if we saw David Blau. And that's when I started with the binoculars, start looking for that. Okay, where is he? Is he warming up? Because you're right, it was not good. And at that point, you're still... <laughs> the game is tied at six, but your offense had not been moving against, yeah, a Buccaneers defense, but still minus Villavea and just not the typical defense that we had seen out of Todd Bowles' group over the last couple of years. The Cardinals, again, later in that second half, able to move the football, but just not enough playmakers. Greg, Greg Dortch's play usage is something that I know a lot of people discuss, and they've been discussing this all season long because they'll have a good game and then he'll disappear, and that's what happened recently. He had a good game in Mexico City, then played 10 snaps the next two games, and then Christmas night, he plays 58 snaps and is the number 1 playmaker on the football field. Curious as to why that seems to be happening a lot this season, but make no
1: mistake, when Dorch is on the field, when he is given an opportunity, he makes the most of it. And Usually, it's either him or A.J. Green. Now, A.J. Green did have 20 snaps in the game, and maybe a lot of that had to do with the fact that Hollywood Brown didn't get a full full game because of the uh, late to a meeting. And so, but yeah, it's usually been one or the other. You know, if there's room for Greg Dortch and there's no room for A.J. Green and, and vice versa uh, in in this game, you know, that was a little different. But look, the other aspect was the tight end. And talking with some people going into this game, Levante David and and Devin White, you know, they're not the greatest in coverage. And Levante Davis a little older, and they thought maybe a Trey McBride might have been a little more productive, even a James Conner in the past game, downfield a little bit more as those inside backers would be covering those two guys, and he didn't quite get that sort of production as maybe we expected when the game kicked off.
0: McBride, three catches, 17 yards. Conner, seven catches, 41 yards. So he was a little bit more productive than a Trey McBride, and that was someone we spotlighted going into this week because... McBride, I mean, without a Zach Ertz, he needs to show up. He is your tight end number one over these last now two remaining games. But going back to Christmas night against the Buccaneers, he needed to be able to show something. Again, don't know exactly what the game plan was going into the week, but
1: something that we were looking out and we didn't see it as far as McBride is concerned. And he did have a nice block on the James Conner 22-yard touchdown run. And we're going to film, we're going to document that in film room this week on Clip Kingsbury's TV show game plan. So it's interesting. He was on the big red rage, Trey McBride and did sort of, you know, behind the scenes sort of, you know, okay, just finger to the wind. What's the vibe with Trey McBride? And it was unanimous. And I was a little bit surprised that the feedback was as resoundingly positive as it is right now, as to his future, because I thought maybe there's a little bit of uncertainty based on how he's played this year. But a couple of coaches looked me in the eyes and said, "Paul, when's the last rookie that came in and just crushed it?" And I sat there and I went, mm, "That's a great question. You're right." And so they said, "Look, he's gonna be really good. Just give him, you know, through this offseason, maybe put on a little more strength and you know, get it." And 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 look, I think. I think, this is my own, I'm surmising now. I'm thinking, you know what, based on the fact that he comes from a small school and a small town, not unlike a Zayvon Collins, and didn't go to exactly a football power, Zayvon went to Tulsa, Trey McBride went to a Colorado State, and playing in those conferences those schools play in, I think there's a little more of a learning curve and getting acclimated. Just the intensity and ferocity of the NFL, the physicality, of the NFL I, th- I think that does take almost a full season for those guys to get into it and then okay uh, I think next year will be key that's when you'll be able to ascertain and tell okay is this guy going to be an NFL difference maker or not
0: what it takes to be a professional yep. you're here how do you stay here how do you prepare during the course of the week to become active and then productive on Sundays that takes a little while for some players maybe into year two or year three Last point on this Christmas night loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Haven't focused too much on the defense. Yeah, I thought they played for three-plus quarters. Darn near perfect against Tom Brady, but we talk about it again. That defense needed one more stop. Couldn't do it. When we talk about stops, J.J. Watt and what he is doing, true to his word, whether it's to us in the media, to his teammates in which the cameras catch him on hard knocks as far as Make sure you leave no stone unturned. Bring it each and every day, regardless of what you have to play for, because you don't have anything to play for as far as the playoffs. You do have something to play for individually. And J.J. Watt is playing for a contract next season, whether it's here or somewhere else. But Watt, a season-high 77 snaps, Paul. The most wow. since 2018. Man. They were supposed to be limiting his snaps this season. That's all out the window, but he continues to
1: to live in the opponent's backfield. Well, and when Tristan Hill went out of the game on the cart, obviously there was a greater need along that defensive front. But there was a point in the second half where NBC put together a montage of his best plays. And there were at least three plays in that first half where he stopped the ball carrier for no gain or a tackle for loss. I mean, he was dominant along that defensive front in the line of scrimmage. And they put together that montage. You're like, man, he still looks ultra quick. He is getting off the line and beating offensive linemen to the gap. And that is so critical. If that offensive lineman doesn't beat you to the spot coming off the ball, and the old lineman's supposed to have the advantage, obviously, knowing the snap count. But J.J. Watt, at 33 years of age, just the quickness, forget the production. We can all see that. And we can see in the box score, and you can see when he gets into the backfield. But I was just, to me, I'm like, wow, this is a big infomercial for J.J. Watt on national TV on NBC. There's 31 other teams looking at that and nodding their head saying, okay, maybe we need to take a closer look at some of his game film. And I would not be shocked if there isn't fierce competition for his services this offseason. Honestly, I I hope the Cardinals retain him. I really do. Not just for what he does in the trenches, but what he does in that locker room. And anyone who wasn't aware is now seeing and hearing it for themselves on hard knocks. And it's great stuff. I mean, in some ways, he's a better motivator and public speaker in that locker room than a lot of the coaches. And, and and so I think he's invaluable for that reason, but then combined with his play, and, and to your point, what he's doing actually on the field and between the white lines, yeah, he's going to command a pretty hefty two-year contract, at least I think in the offseason. I really do, even at 33. Six tackles, two tackles for loss, two quarterback hits. So he had half the team's tackles
0: for loss, half the team's quarterback hits, And you're right, what he has done for Zach Allen, Cameron Thomas, the rest of the defensive line, Lucky Foto, Rashard Lawrence, that you can't put a price tag on it. Yet if you're the Cardinals looking at next season and J.J. Watt, what do you have left to do in your career? Let's get into the postseason, make it to the Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. Do the Cardinals and J.J. Watt
1: pass do they mirror one another looking ahead to next season? yeah you're right. i mean if he's looking for a slam dunk surefire playoff team based on where he is in his career, I could see that. I could also see him looking for a big media market. He's so good in front of the camera, and not as if he hasn't already he hasn't already set himself up for a post playing career media type broadcast gig i, I could, if he wants, he's obviously you know set up for generations in his family in terms of his earnings. But if he's looking to go that route and you see him go to, oh, I don't know, a Chargers or Rams in the L.A. market or a Giants or Jets in the New York market, I would not be surprised whatsoever for a J.J. Watt if he ended up in one of those big media markets and just continued to burnish his brand going forward.
0: Um, Not the Rams, Paul. Cardinals play the Rams twice each season, so I don't need to see 99. I'm with you. Or what do you do if it is oh. the um, I'm just, Oh, I that's even, true. I don't to Aaron think Donald, about it. Right. You have 99 part right. one, 99 right. part two. I mean, yeah. it's bad enough that's you got to right. deal with Aaron Donald. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. no.
1: And, and you know what? J.J. <laughs> Watt has been the better 99 this year in the NFL. And and a lot of it, they went into those two games against the Rams, and I think he was sick and tired of hearing about 99, and it wasn't him. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to watch him play this year. It, it, it really has. And – He's one of those guys that if he's not around next year, man, that's going to be tough. That that is going to leave a big void, not not just on the defensive front, but in that locker room.
0: And I think that's a good place to leave it here on Cardinals Cover 2, talking about the positive from Christmas nights. And of course, obviously, now it's all about getting Paul Calvisi's voice ready for this upcoming week. Two games left to go, Paul. Rest up, recharge, and don't forget. Yeah, it's in
1: Atlanta when you're celebrating the New Year. I know that is. Here, here's you talk about taking it game by game, week by week, day by day. We actually, my wife actually, three weeks ago asked me about. Okay, uh, some of our friends, there's a big huh, New Year's Eve party. Okay, yeah, sounds great. Let's <laughs> go. We'll commit. It was three days ago. It was right before Christmas where I realized. Wait a minute, we're on the road for New Year's Eve. Yeah, I was I was in the doghouse at that moment with the wife. Um, i got to do a better job of looking ahead, Gray, and not taking it game by game, week by week. Well, if Paul
0: is out of the doghouse, maybe he'll rejoin us later in the yeah. week to talk about said trip to the Atlanta Falcons, or maybe Paul will just go to Atlanta and never come back. It could be that bad in the Pauly household. Probably not, yeah. but yeah.
1: No, we'll see. Look, uh, I'll say this much. Um, I'm very curious with the Atlanta, what it's what it's like there in terms of the crowd and the reaction. You got a team that is is actually in playoff contention right now, so we'll see. But uh, a few other times we've gone to Atlanta, and and uh, you've wondered about the crowd noise and whether it's being enhanced (laughs) and amplified. Curious what it'll be like in that brand-new stadium this time around. Maybe someone who worked with the Vikings is now working with the Falcons.
0: Maybe that's a possibility. (laughs) On that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Almohandro. For Ball Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.